of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Well, hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Thank you for joining me today as we are continuing through the Psalm Project. And we are here today in Psalm 111. Uh, so we are getting through this and pretty soon we will be at Psalm 119, which I told somebody recently, uh, I'm finished with the composition. I'm just editing the record, the musical recording of the setting I'm not sure how long the commentary will be, but the musical setting itself is about 37 minutes. So it is a long, and expectedly so, Psalm 119 is a long psalm. Psalm 117, just a few chapters before that, is the shortest one. It is two verses. Um, So we're approaching that fast. Uh, Today we are in Psalm 111. It's a psalm of praise, and it recalls the Exodus. There are are many references in this psalm uh, to the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings and the conquest of the promised land. You see all of that. Keep in mind, um, although Israel probably would have been considered at this time far removed from the Exodus, they certainly knew the history and the stories, many times passed down through oral tradition or even through writings. And so many of these psalms, as we've already seen, stem from a recollection of the Exodus and what God did for the people through Moses. In fact, Moses is even mentioned in some of the Psalms. And so Israel, God's people, God's chosen people would have known these deeds, these acts that God performed. And so this Psalm, it is an acrostic. Uh, This is a trait that is common among many wisdom poems, and it ends on a note that could be called the motto of the book of Proverbs. And you will see that at the end of this psalm when I read it. You will recognize the verse. If you're familiar with Proverbs, um, you will probably know that this is very similar to uh, the theme of the book of Proverbs. So let me read for you Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with the faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So this psalm is framed by praise of the Lord. It begins with praise the Lord and it ends with his praise endures forever. And you probably recognize the ending I was talking about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
It's interesting that fear of the Lord is connected to praise. How can we rightfully praise and worship someone in whom there is no fear? And I've mentioned this before, when we see in Scripture to fear the Lord, there are many that have reduced that to just a respect. And it is more than just a respect. It is a literal fear. There are times in Scripture when we are told to fear the Lord, and it means to, yes, be afraid of Him. Because of what He can do, because of His power, because of His wrath even, now, we as God's people are saved from that. We are not people of wrath. God has protected us from that. And it is interesting, Tim Keller says, I am saved by God from God. In other words, God is the one who pours down wrath. And because of the mediation of Jesus Christ, we are saved from him by him. And so Fear of the Lord here is linked to praise. We can praise rightly when we fear the Lord. Verse 1, he says, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright. In other words, the holy congregation as they gather to praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. So the psalmist here has in mind the great acts of redemption that God performed in their past. And so the preeminent example of this would be the Exodus, when God rescued his people from their oppressors in Egypt. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. God's acts in history in conformity to his character and law. That's what this is referring to. And so through his great historical acts, people can recognize his righteousness. Verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. I've mentioned this before, but remembrance is more than a mental act of recollection. Remembrance of the Lord, for example, when Jesus says to do this in remembrance of me, referring to the Lord's table, um, he is not saying just to invoke, this doesn't just involve a mental recollection. It's not just remembrance, but it is anamnesis. It is experiencing and something spiritual. Something real that happens during that moment. And so remembering the Lord involves uh, devotion and obedience. And it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Israel, due to sin, did not deserve God's salvation. But it springs from his love for his people. Exodus 34, 6 says, the Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is good to his people and certainly Israel and the psalmists would have known this, that he has covenanted with his people and he is good to his people. Verse 5, he, provi he provides food for those who fear him. This could allude, since this psalm is reflecting on the great acts of God in the Exodus, 
This could refer to the wilderness, the wanderings when God miraculously provided food for Israel. And you see that in Numbers 11. The people are complaining and God provided food for them. And then they end up complaining again. He's providing manna and they end up complaining because that's all they're eating. It's like a spoiled child there. Uh, But God provided food for them in the wilderness. Verse 5 also says he remembers his covenant forever. So when God acts to save his people, he does so because of the relationship he has already established with them. Not because of what they have done for him, but because of the covenant he has made. And it says he remembers his covenant forever. So God is not fickle. His people can depend on him and should depend on them, on him. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of nations. God gave to Israel the land of a number of peoples when he gave them the promised land. You can read about that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, where it speaks of God's chosen people and the land and the people that he gave them through conquering them, yes, And so let us not take this out of context and think that 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 means, well, the Lord might lead our nation to just trample other countries. That's not the point here. And again, I've said this before, but Israel is God's chosen people, not, not the United States, Israel. And so there are people that would say that is unjust. God commanded them to kill people, to overtake nations. That is unjust. But realistically, it is not when every single person in history deserves the wrath of God in hell. And so he has sovereignly chosen some people, and and certainly uh, when we read Old Testament theology, um, he chose Israel. Those were his chosen people. And so he had every right to to, uh, covenant with them and to uh, command them to destroy other people. That was his right. And that is his right. Even when God calls people to salvation today, that is his right. You know, the question is not why would he choose some and not others. The question is why would he choose anyone at all? No one deserves it. And it's not that anybody else is special. It's his choice. And then in verse 10, this is the one I was talking about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. So this well-known phrase captures the right way to approach the Lord. I've said often that the Psalms are a model for prayer and for worship. If you want to know how to worship, if you want to know how to approach God and what things to say to God, look at the book of Psalms. This tells us. So the Lord is God. He inspires reverence and awe, and he makes good his threats against the wicked. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So those that fear the Lord walk in uprightness. So this is a setting that reflects the praise nature of this psalm in Psalm 111, uh, hymnic in form, as many of them are. And so here is Psalm 111 set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
thanks to the Lord I'll bring Together with the upright ones And in their gathering The works accomplished by the Lord Are very great in right They're studied closely by all those Who find in them Ever 